You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, I thought I would delve into the list of questions that have been piling up over the last couple of months as we've been distracted interviewing the awesome list of guests we've had over the period. But it's time to get to solving some of our most loyal listeners' problems, discussing some of the most basic questions, to be frank, about how to get into property, how to make money from property in Western Australia, but also just having a conversation about where the market is. Before we get to those questions, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to give everyone a quick market update, whether you live in Perth, whether you live in New South Wales, Victoria, you're asking me, how is the market going on a daily basis? So obviously, this podcast is a great opportunity to lay down some of the facts. And let's do that right now. So as of today, the 23rd of October, 2023, we have just over 5,000 properties on the market for sale right now. Less than half of those are houses and over 20% of those are vacant lots. That's down by more than a factor of three from four years ago where it was above 17,000 properties. Think about any market there where a real asset supply has contracted by more than a factor of three and ask yourself what would normally happen to the price of that asset if demand stayed constant. And then let's move to demand. Well, demand hasn't stayed constant. We know this. We've been tracking it for years now on this podcast. It has risen from an average of about 550 transactions a week. You don't get a transaction without demand. You've obviously got supply sitting there every week as we have spoken about. So from 554 years ago, it now sits very comfortably around the 900 to 950 mark. In fact, last week we had 970 properties sold within that seven-day period. So when supply drops by a factor of three and demand is increased by about 70% on that asset, whatever that asset is, and obviously right now we're talking about property, you have to ask yourself that question, what usually will happen to the price of that asset? Well, the story is pretty obvious. The market has increased over the last year by about 10% and market expectations are pricing in further increases over especially the next year of another 10%. Now, you tell me a forecaster that's ever got it remotely right and I will give you a house for free. So never listen to any of the forecasts. So many things can happen from a macro perspective that affect our market on a monthly basis and we know those things that are happening around the world right now. But what it means is that the market is confident. It's pricing in increases. The sellers are not discounting even if it takes them a bit longer to sell their property than the median time frame, which is currently nine days to sell a house in Western Australia, the lowest it's ever been on record, nine days. They're still not discounting that property. If you want to buy that property, you're going to have to pay at least asking price in Western Australia, which is the first time we've seen this type of relationship between buyer and seller for about a decade, to be frank. So it's finally a nice time to be a a homeowner, a property owner, a landlord in Western Australia. Let's segue to landlords and the experience they're having at the moment, which is obviously juxtaposed against the experience of tenants. But landlords four years ago, they were experiencing a median rent they were bringing in of about 350 bucks for a house in January 2018. So Five and a half years ago, we were receiving $350 a week 
for renting our house out. That has broken through records in 2022 of about $470 a week and has climbed, climbed, climbed all the way through the last year and a half to now having a median house rental price of $595 per week in October 2023. It's hard to imagine that prices could rise so quickly, but when you look at the data, it's not surprising. The amount of people looking to rent in Western Australia has never been so high, but more importantly, the amount of properties available for rent has never been so low. Five years ago, we had 11,000 properties on the market available for rent. We now have less than 2,000. It's been that way for over a year and a bit. But the reason that prices have started to rise so high is because of the amount of immigration we're having. Obviously, when people emigrate to our country, just in the same way that you would operate if you went to someone else's country, the first thing you generally do is dip your toes into the water test out a couple of suburbs, you rent first, right? And that pressure is obviously piling onto the rental market. We've seen news reports over the last few weeks of 300 people of a single home open for rent in the suburbs in Perth. So these stories are just out of whack. You obviously have to win the lottery, even if you're a fantastic tenant and a fantastic resume anywhere in the world, it's unlikely, obviously, that you're going to get that property. So what happens to the substitutable market of the rental property, which is the primary market in real estate in Western Australia, or the substitutable market being the buying market? Well, it obviously pushes people to start making an acquisition decision quicker or in a more desperate nature than they otherwise would have. So more people in the buying market. And that is what's sustaining that continual pressure of that number of transactions per week, sitting at around that 950 to 1000 mark going up throughout October. We've already got more transactions in the first three weeks of October than we did in the whole of September. And it's only going to get busier and busier over summer as we peak into late January, early February, where we normally see the most pressure on a property market over the last four years in WA. So that's the update on the Perth property market right now with regards to the stats. I know a lot of listeners have been asking me to give them a bit more obvious statistics about what's going on in the market right now, which now leads me to a perfect segue into answering some of those more pertinent representative questions that I receive every day. I've tried to amalgamate a few of them and give a good shout out to those people who are asking those questions. The first one goes to Gerald. Gerald from Waikiki is asking, where can I learn about subdividing my property? Is it still a profitable thing to do? Gerald, great question. It's a question I get asked all the time, obviously, with Strategic Property Group having its core business historically based around small-scale subdivision. And because of that, I've got a couple of great resources to offer you. The first thing you should do is look back through this podcast, episode 62, where we do an introduction to subdivision, and then episode 68, where we move into laying out the subdivision costs. Both of those fantastic episodes were laid down with our development manager here at Strategic Property Group, David Gilbert. He is the doyen on subdivision, small-scale subdivision in Western Australia, knows his stuff. Listen to those episodes. To me, it makes a lot of sense to spend some time re-listening to some of those episodes back in the day because the information hasn't changed. And if you get anything out of episode 62 and 68, listen to episode 74, where we then finish off that process of applying for titles through the subdivision process. Now, that would be the best way to learn about how to kick on with subdivision. You can also download our beginner's guide to subdivision on our website at strategicpropertygroup.com.au for the resources section. Is it still a profitable outcome, Gerald? Well, inherently, Gerald, subdivision is a profitable thing to do. What you're doing is solving 
society's problem and it's probably the most chronic problem we have in Western Australia right now and that is helping to add supply to our housing market by turning one property into two or three or four but the way that you make sure that pro- that subdivision effort is profitable is by doing your homework properly not only in acquiring that initial property at the right price you make your money when you buy Gerald the rest of that process is simply bringing that profit to the fore but then it's also about doing your due diligence beforehand on all those costs that you need to identify within the subdivision requirements, subdivision conditions that are apparent in that property in the first place. Every property in every suburb, in every city will have different conditions attached to the approval to subdivide that property by the West Australian Planning Commission. All of those conditions obviously come with a number of variable costs. In some properties, in some suburbs, in some councils, it will cost forty to $60,000 to do a subdivision. In some, it will cost upwards of $100,000. This is where you need to do your homework, have the right team around you doing your due diligence. And if you can identify and mitigate the risks, the costs along the way of subdividing that property in the first place, and then you identify the sales values of the properties you're going to be creating from that subdivision, you then have the ability to identify the price you can pay for the property in the first place, that will allow you to have the profit you're looking for. If the market won't accept the price you can pay based on the costs, then you don't buy that property. You have to look for a subdivision opportunity in a different suburb where that arbitrage, that profit does exist. So inherently, subdivision is profitable, but in certain times in the market, in certain suburbs around Perth and certain properties, it won't be a profitable outcome. And then you layer on top of that development. So a lot of people look at subdivision and then look at developing on top of that. So you might not only split one block into three, but you'll split one block into three and then develop three houses on top of that. That also is another layer of due diligence of feasibility study you need to do on your property or the property you're looking to buy. And what we've found in the last couple of years is that as building costs have increased maybe 50% in that time since 2020 to today, most of the profit that was apparent through a small-scale development in Western Australia has been passed from the developer through the builder, because the builder's not really making a cent in the last few years, to the tradie. And that's obviously a function of the fact that there's far less traders available than there is work to do. And so ironically, in that space, whilst there would be such an opportunity right now to provide more supply in Western Australia, it's often not been a profitable outcome over the last two years on a feasibility study to do a small-scale build simply because the cost of doing that development, that build is far too expensive and the market has not caught up in terms of what they will pay for the built form outcome. Is that starting to change? Possibly, it's starting to come around a little bit, but that is obviously based on significant growth coming through the market where a triplex unit, for example, may have sold in 2020 for 550 grand. That property really needs to be worth 700 at the end of this development for it to be worthwhile. If you can't see that evidence in your research right now, doing your feasibility studies right now, then what you're doing is pricing in hope for future gains in the market. And that's not something that we would be advising. However, there are opportunities out there and as the value of properties in Western Australia continue to rise and the input costs from labor start to settle a little bit, there will be more opportunities going forward. You just don't want to be the last lemming falling off the cliff and caught holding the baby there when the market does turn at some point in time. Recognize a subdivision does take a good year and a bit to do and that is the market risk you're taking on. Gerald, thanks for the question. Second question comes from Andrew. Andrew asks, I have equity in my home since values have increased. Fantastic, Andrew. That's great to hear. Should I buy an investment property? How do I get the cash out to do so as my deposit for buying that property? 
Great question, Andrew. A lot of people are finally in this position again for the first time in maybe a decade where they've actually started to see some equity being built in the value of their home. They've really been rewarded, especially for buying maybe three or four years ago in a situation where you may have bought for $500,000 in a Pabri, a Craigie, a Belden, these sort of areas. Maybe it was a Willoughby or a Coolbalup down south of the river. And now those properties are worth $700,000. There's a couple of hundred grand there that, that you've created in simply owning a home that you're living in that you've probably never saved in your life simply from a salary. That is the power of owning property in Australia. It obviously comes with its downside risks, but you've been benefiting from great timing in the market. Now, how do you get that equity out? Well, it comes from a refinance. You can either refinance with your existing bank or you can refinance with a mortgage broker through a different bank who might give you a better deal at the end of the day. So let's go through your example. Maybe when you first bought the property, you bought it for $500,000 and you had a loan of $450,000. You've obviously got a 90% loan to value ratio at that point in time. You would have paid some LMI, some lenders mortgage insurance. Now the property is worth $700,000. Well, how much equity do you have to play with? The banks will let you play with anything more than the 20% they want you to keep in the house. So if your house is worth $700,000, at 20% space there means that they want you to keep 140 grand of equity there at all times. Then you've got the difference between what your current mortgage is, which is 450, and 80% of the value of that home, which is 560. So you've got $110,000 in equity to play with. As long as you've got the serviceability to go and get a new loan with the proposed rent that comes from that new property being added to your income, which is obviously very helpful, especially given how high rents are at the moment, you can take that $110,000 difference between 80% of the value of your house and what your current loan is and use that as your deposit for a new property. Maybe you'll take that to go and buy another property that's worth maybe $500,000. Maybe the rent would be $550, $600 a week right now, which is entirely possible. And therefore, it's very possible that a bank would allow you to use that equity to have two loans for two properties that you can now look at scaling your portfolio with. Now, there's two ways to do that. One, you can cross-securitize, which means you can have the second loan be securitized by your first house and the second house, or you can have that refinance, have the $110,000 cashed out nearly as, as cash that goes in your offset account. So the first home loan goes to 560 grand, and then you've got that $110,000 sitting there for a second home loan that would be maybe $390,000, being the difference between 500K and $110,000 in deposit. Don't forget, you'll have stamp duty to pay on that $500,000 property. That would be around $23,000. So you'll have to factor that in as well. So that's how you do it. Don't worry. You're not going to have to worry about that. A very good mortgage broker or banker will be able to assist you with doing that. Is it the right time? If there, if ever there was a right time in the last decade, it was four years ago. It was yesterday. The next best time is today. So get on your bike, Andrew, and see what you can pick up. Thanks for the question. Question three, Stan. Stan asks, I've been trying to buy a house in WA for over a year now, but I can't find anything that suits me. Any tips? Well, Stan, I'm not sure whether you're talking about an investment property or a property for yourself, but what's more than likely your issue, if it isn't simply being extremely picky about the house you want to move into, it would be the fact that you're just not paying enough. Now, if you've been in the market for the last couple of years looking, you're probably pretty dirty yourself that you didn't buy something a couple of years ago, where you're probably asking the same questions, thinking, oh, this isn't great value, and the market has kept creeping and creeping and creeping, and still today, you can't get your head around paying 700 grand for a property that you could have bought for 640 last year or the year before. 
that's just the market. And unfortunately, you haven't taken action at the time. And I call that non-buyer's remorse. If you want to get on the market, if you need to get on the market for a home that you're looking to own or live in, you need to pay up. So what I would suggest is, especially if it's a house you're looking to be in long-term and live there, uh, recognize that the market is generally always correct and that if you lock down on a property that you absolutely love that you can see yourself in for years to come because stamp duty and seller's fees are obviously quite inefficient costs to be paying. If you feel like you need to move houses again soon in the future, if you find that house you love, pay what you have to. Make sure that you communicate with a seller's agent at the time that whatever it takes, you are going to buy that property and you will pay what you have to. You might feel a little bit dirty inside about what you've paid, but I've seen enough times over the last four years friends of mine, colleagues of mine, possible clients of mine who simply have, who haven't stumped up at the time, not recognizing the dynamics in this market that exist and are kicking themselves every day for the losses they've made. And you compare that to the story Andrew has where they went and bought with minimal equity a few years ago and now have a lot of equity to play with. That's the opportunity cost you've given up. If it's an investment property, then I would also be looking to have a conversation with a buyer's agent. Buyer's agents take the emotion out of it. They know what needs to be paid. They have the access. They're still finding opportunities off market. A good buyer's agent, and this is one that I'd say has been around for more than a couple of years because there has been a lot of random buyer's agents pop up in the market over the last couple of years, to be frank. But the best ones are the ones that have been here through the downturn, who were trading in 2018, trading in 2015, uh, all of these times in the cycle. Go and have a conversation with a couple of them. Get on board, pay the couple of percent because that couple of percent fee not only should be uh, demonstrated in value the other way, in a price they're helping you get the property at, but also in simply time value right now. And that time is running away from you at nearly a percent per month at the moment. All right, thanks a lot for that stand. Question four is from Jeremy. What do you think should be my priority? Cash flow or capital gains? Obviously, Jeremy, I guess we're talking about investment property right now. Jeremy, capital gains is always the priority. Cash flow is something you need to be mindful of insofar that the disposable income you have after your salary and after costs is not making it hard for you to live a normal life but certainly capital gains is the focus. If I focus on cash flow for a second and maybe I'm looking for a high yielding rental property at 6 or 7%, that's a gross number. Net, it's probably 1 or 2% and therefore I'm probably bringing in after maintenance, after insurance, after property management fees, after rates, maybe five to $10,000 if I'm lucky on most properties in Western Australia. That's not changing your life. You know what is changing your life? capital gains. The story that we had with Andrew in question two again, just bought at the right time, didn't have a whole bunch of savings, but timing is everything. And also location, location, location. There are some properties at that time where maybe it's grown five or 10%. There are some that are grown 30 or 40%. And I've been making really clear my thoughts on what they have been over the last few years. And it has been that Joondalup wing, that Manda Rockingham wing, and around the Willoughby, Coolbelup area. Those are where prices have flown over the last few years, simply based on gentrification, but also where a lot of folks because of immigration has been since the downturn in Western Australia. So capital gains where you can make 50, 100 grand in a year, that's what changes people's lives, not five or 10. Focus on capital gains, make sure your cash flow is looked after. That's the strategy there, Jeremy. Question five, Hassan. Hassan says, I just finished my first development. Is there any way of avoiding paying GST? Can I still get the 50% discount on CGT, capital gains tax, if I sell? Hassan, Look, mate, CGT and capital gains tax, or if you're selling straight away profits tax, those things are just a reality of doing business. And don't for a second think you're not running a business, even if you haven't got a PTY LTD, if you're doing a development. The HO has been very clear on this throughout the last few years. 
if you are selling new residential property, you are running a profit-making scheme or essentially a business, you have to pay GST, you can remit GST and you must also pay full profits tax. The only way you can avoid this is if you convince the AGO over a number of years of secondhand home ownership and that is through renting the property out for a number of years that you're not selling new residential and then that GST goes away and the CGT discount can come in. So to be clear, if you've just finished your development and you want to sell, you will pay GST, you will not get a 50% discount on the CGT. If you want to avoid that, then you need to hold those properties for at least five years, the ATO says, to demonstrate to them that you are not playing playing the property development game. And if you do this quite often, if, if Vista starts to become a second or third or fourth development, that argument becomes even harder with the ATO. But yes, renting it out for a number of years is the only way you can avoid these taxes. And okay, now question six comes from Nick. I've given up trying to find a house to buy. Is it a safe time to start thinking of building again? Interesting question, Nick. I was a little savvy at the start of the question, but I like how you've picked up looking for a solution on the back of the question. Is it a good time to start thinking of building again if I can't buy a property on the market, that secondhand property? Look, I've just started having a few conversations with people that this is possibly that tipping point again where it's becoming more realistic. The risk for reward is becoming more realistic for people in this market and they're starting to make that choice again. Certainly a couple of years ago, I would have said absolutely not. Don't even think about building. It is a horrible time and a risky time. But most of the builders, and we're still seeing builders collapsing, but most of the good ones have gotten through the rough times there. They've lost their money and they're on the recovery path to getting it back. But when you think about, again, the time it's taking for a lot of people to find a house in despair, just like, for example, standing question three, there is an opportunity there for people to pick up one of those 1,100 vacant lots on the market right now that are sitting around a little bit, not getting as much love as the residential property sitting there ready to ready to move into. Lock that price in for the land and then start having some conversations without the pressure, without rushing with a couple of builders to try and get as best value for money as you can. Now, this again would not have been relevant a couple of years ago, especially with how quickly the cost of building has gone up. But given the market is starting starting to uh, find its way back to that replacement cost value again, it isn't the worst idea to be not paying overs on the initial acquisition for the location you want being the most important thing, location, location, location. If you can get a piece of vacant land without competing with too many people in a good area and you can lock that in, you can put most of your deposit, most of your savings towards buying that first in straight away, then you minimize your mortgage on the front end and take your time to build a really nice home that you can see yourself living in for the long term, where you're not going to be moving every couple of years because you compromised on the older house that you were desperate for. This is probably the best time possible. The builders going back now saying, look, they can knock out a single story home in 12 months again. I can see that happening. I'm seeing it moving quickly on the ground again. Most of, of the wombat and the snake has, is starting to get through by the time you start getting on the ground say most of those trades are in a more normalized market so certainly have a look at that opportunity right now go back to those builders that you might have spoken to a few years ago have a conversation and see if those numbers start to even out with the rest of the market thanks nick number seven comes from shelly i'm from sydney and can't afford to buy a property in new south wales where would you advise looking in perth Thanks for listening, Shelley. I appreciate the growing list of listeners we've got from the East Coast. More than welcome to keep participating and listening along. Uh, look, it's interesting because people from New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria have been buying in Western Australia for probably the last two and a half years now. In some suburbs, there are more East Coast investors buying than there are Perth people. Now, those suburbs are your Gosnells, your Thornley, 
your Banksia Grove, your Rockinghams, Safety Bay, Waikiki, anywhere around Mandra. For some reason, East Coast buyers agents and East Coast uh, buyers see this as great opportunity, probably because the values are quite low and the rental prices are quite high. Therefore, yields are high and East Coast people seem to value yields a bit more than most should. That is where the herd is going. I'm not particularly sure they're the best locations for investments. In fact, I'm sure they're not. However, we've seen a lot of growth over the last couple of years in that area. Where would I be putting that money if I was going to put, let's say, $600,000 into Western Australia right now? If it was for a medium-term hold, it wasn't for a couple of years to pump and dump in and out of WA, it'd definitely be around where our best amenities lie. It'd be as close as possible to either a great town centre, the water being the river and the ocean, the city and great schools, I'd suggest the best place to be looking right now would be somewhere around in the south. It would be Hamilton Hill, Spearwood sort of area, Coolbull up even still, Willoughby still cr- tracking along very well. It might be around Belmont, Rivervale, Kudale. It also might be around Morley being an area with real rejuvenation through the massive metro net upgrades going through there being the new train stations around Morley or straight through the UK immigration belt up in the city of Joondalup still seeing a lot of growth through that Belden, Craigie, Heathridge, Pabri, uh, Warwick area. Very much a lot of pressure going in there as Greenwood, Kingsley, Woodvale, that's happening too. Those are the areas and established markets around good schools, close enough to the water, close enough to transport lines, where I suggest that we're still going to see um, some strong value. All right, last question. It's from Tim. I'm a first home buyer. Can you please explain what happens after I put an offer in on a property? Tim, thanks for the question, mate. And it's really important that you ask this question because there'll be hundreds of listeners out there in the same position as you. Now, before you go and buy that property, the first thing you want to do is speak to a mortgage broker. Your mortgage broker is going to be someone who can give you a lot of guidance along the way with regards to having some confidence on your serviceability. Probably want to get a pre-approval in place to give you a bit more buying power at the negotiation table with the sales agent but also there's someone who's been around the block a long time can help you with that contract. They see contracts every day. So you speak to your mortgage broker. The second person you want to speak to is a settlement agent. The settlement agent is the person who's going to help you with all the legal work after you've signed a contract. You might not know what a settlement agent does. If you want to learn about what a settlement agent does, then you can listen to our episode 60 on the podcast where we talk about that process. You also want to go and speak to a building inspector. Now, these are the guys who are going to help you with making sure that what you're buying isn't going to fall over tomorrow. They'll also help you most likely with a nice annexure that you can use and add to your offer as a condition of your purchase. So you've got your mortgage broker, your settlement agent, your building inspector. You're now armed with a great team to go to a home open. Let's say you found a property now. Recognize you're probably not going to be the only one with an offer on. So make sure that when you're putting an offer on a property, it's something that you really love and you're you're prepared to go hard on. If you're not, then it might not be worth making that decision because you don't want to have buyer's remorse or regret in a couple of years when it doesn't suit your lifestyle. When you do find that property you love that you're prepared to live in for five to 10 years, go hard in a market like this. Don't try and get a discount. It's not going to happen for you. There are people far more organized, far more desperate than you right now who will pay what they have to. Make a relationship with a selling agent. Make a relationship with a couple of selling agents around the area, in fact. And when you find that property, talk to that agent. Say, look, here's my pre-approval. 
I've got a building inspector ready to go. I've got a settlement agent ready to go. I'd like to put an offer in right now. Ask the selling agent to give you that offer form and then go back to your mortgage broker and or settlement agent and help them work you through the offer and acceptance. Now, on the front page, you'll be putting your personal information in. You'll see the information about the property, the lot details, the folio, volume numbers, all these sort of things, the address. And then it'll have a box there for you to tick that you're going to put have a finance application in, which I assume you will. You'll talk about how much finance you need. You'll also have a condition box there that will that selling agent will probably suggest you have a building inspection condition and a pest and termite inspection condition to make sure the house is sturdy now as long as you've got those conditions in there you'll probably be okay from that point in time you write your offer of what price you're happy to go in at and i would suggest again don't lowball get yourself in the mix and put your best price forward straight away in a market like this submit it back to the selling agent tell them you're ready to go you'd really like this property and you'd love a conversation with the selling agent over the next 24 hours and then hound the agent make sure you're front of mind from the start be as communicative and as respectful as as possible demonstrating how keen you are and then from that point in time we're really just waiting on the seller to pick the offer they're going to go with. Now, they may counter in a market like this. They probably will counter. It's up to you whether you counter back. And if you haven't left anything up your sleeve, that property just won't be for you. If you have got a bit more up your sleeve, counter back, see if you can get it. If you do get it, congratulations. You now have to go through that process with a mortgage broker and a settlement agent and the building inspector to do all their work to get that property's title in your name. So, you get that contract, the selling agent will send it to you. You then send it to the mortgage broker. He or she will then work with the bank to get your finance from pre-approval to formal approval. They may need a couple more documents from you. You also send that offer and acceptance that's been signed to your settlement agent. They will then communicate with the seller's settlement agent and the bank's settlement agent to work together to transfer that property from the seller's name into your name over the next couple of months, depending on the conditions you put on the offer. To go back to the conditions, what you're probably going to want to write on there is something like 21 to 28 days time for your finance approval and then from that time another 21 to 28 days for the settlement this gives you all the time to get the mortgage broker to do their work get the settlement agent to do their work and the banker to do their work and then finally the building inspector you generally want to have a condition on there that they can do their inspections within seven days of your offer being accepted by the seller as long as all these things tick over you'll then be in a position where in 50 to 60 days you probably own that property that is the process and having the right team around you is paramount and not only being successful in your bid demonstrating confidence and competency with the selling agent and the seller also getting some level of value out of the transaction and also as little stress as possible tim good luck with that and to hundreds of first home buyers out there good luck at uh, the best time to buy was yesterday in this market and i will advise you when that changes but but currently looking at the chronically undersupplied market we are in right now. It is a buyer, buyer, buyer across Western Australia right now. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Next week, we'll have Sandra Brewer of the Property Council of WA in the studio to give us an update on all the advocacy they've been doing, the great work they've been doing in the planning and finance space around property to help iron out some of those kinks in Western Australia's market right now. I look forward to having a chat with Sandra and I look forward to everyone listening along. Guys, have a great week. Happy hunting. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!